welcome to another episode of To See or Not To See. I am your host, Grace Curley, and today I will be discussing the controversial writer and philosopher, Miss Ayn Rand, and her philosophy of objectivism. I will be talking about her tenet of individualism, the misconception of selfishness, why youth of my generation could do with a little objectivism, and how this philosophy gets misrepresented by American psycho-like yuppies. Stay tuned! What a lot of people misinterpret about Ayn Rand is how she defines selfishness. To the masses, selfish is a negative adjective to describe someone egocentric and self-absorbed, usually lacking in empathy. Because of this ingrained and easily perpetuated idea of selfishness, many people write off her philosophy of objectivism. And while there are many tenets of objectivism, the main ones being objective reality, absolute reason, and individualism. Today, I will only be talking about the foundation of this idea, which is the concept of individualism and what we know as selfishness. Now, I don't agree with everything Ayn Rand has ever said, nor the political aspects of her philosophy, but I do think that there is some truth and value in critically thinking about this that is almost always misinterpreted and taken out of context. Obviously, no belief or philosophy should be carried out in extremism, but there is no harm in recognising the bits that you find valuable in this semantic cesspool of information and opinions. Anyway, on the topic of selfishness. Most people conclude that when Ayn Rand endorsed individualism, self-interest and logic and reason as opposed to emotional and subjective ideas about reality, that she was advocating being an unempathetic, inconsiderate, ego-driven, wasteoid lech whose only priority is themselves, which therefore allows them to be shitty to other people. But if you actually, you know, attempted to understand the original text, Ayn Rand defines the virtue of selfishness as, and quote, concern with one's own interests. One must manifest a serious concern for one's own interests if one is to lead a healthy, purposeful, and fulfilling life. So the point is that selfishness equals self-interest. For example, if every person in the first world were to look after themselves first, not counting children or unable people, before trying to look after others, then one would create the most sustainable and largely positive impact for both parties. As by ensuring you are at your best state, you can then be better equipped to help others. Look at it this way, if two people are drowning, you do not save the other person first, right? You must first save yourself, remove yourself from danger, to then be able to save the other person. The alternative is trying to save the other person first, resulting in both of you drowning. By not putting yourself first, you have doomed both of you to a worse fate. Now this is an extreme example and obviously a metaphor, but the principle behind it can apply to your everyday life even in the smallest ways. It is as simple as not trying to give advice to people when your own life is falling apart. Instead, putting all your energy into stabilizing your life before offering that advice to others. Part of acting in one's self-interest is taking responsibility for one's own emotions and actions. If one acts in according to his own principles and values, then he has no one to blame but himself for the results and consequences. Whereas if one were to 
form their identity based on the opinions of others or if one were to blame his faults or actions on something or someone outside of him he is allowing himself to be controlled therefore absolving him of self-responsibility this is not to say that one must disregard every external opinion or to not care for others in fact by treating others with general respect you are respecting yourself how because when one wastes energy on reacting to others negatively for no reason, he is giving his power away to that person. By letting others stimulate irrational emotions and thoughts in you, you are allowing yourself to be influenced by them, taking away your own self-control, therefore disrespecting the very nature of man's sovereignty. Obviously, I'm not saying that this is simple and easy, but I am speaking in terms of the philosophy. Another misinterpretation of her philosophy is that you can't love or value anyone but yourself, expanding upon you must be selfish all the time. But when Miss Rand uses the term selfish, she is not referring to the synonym egocentric, narcissistic, or even self-absorbed. She is talking about prioritizing the well-being of oneself first and foremost before tending to the needs of others. Because how can you help others if you cannot help yourself? Another example, it is like giving people cups of water from your bucket, but your bucket has a hole in it, so it is forever going to leak with that hole in it. Transference of energy is a currency, it is an exchange of value, and it is man's free will that can decide if they are willing to exchange it or not. That is not selfish in the common sense of the word, that is having your own standards, values, self-esteem and self-worth. In conclusion, one must first be strong and healthy enough before they can help someone else. A bucket without a hole. Because if one has nothing and tries to give everything, then all you are left with is two people who have nothing. Nobody in the long term is helping anyone. In Ayn Rand's novel The Fountainhead, the protagonist, Howard Rourke, lives for himself without needing, wanting, or depending on anyone in any way. He doesn't need or want their opinions, their approval, their adoration, or even their respect. He knows his life is his own, and he will choose what he does with it, as everyone else with that same privilege has that same right. He does not give help to others without their asking, simply because he does not want help from others, and he believes in living the way he wants to be treated. Furthermore, he does not want to owe or be indebted to anyone or anyone to owe him. He believes in self-responsibility and self-accountability, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And in his case, he has a biological advantage, first and foremost being a white, able-bodied man in a first world country. But this way of thinking may also be solely employed in mental and emotional contexts. Those things are not mutually exclusive with kindness or empathy, as many seem to think. He is not saying, no one should help anyone or be kind to anyone because you don't owe them. On the contrary, Rourke would believe that if one acts in genuine kindness out of their simple desire to be kind then one is acting by their own free will in their own self-interest because it is their choice to be kind without expectation pretension or ulterior motive that is true kindness it is not a forced altruism or one born out of societal pressures obligations or vanity he believes one can empathize with others as long as that empathy is not at the expense of oneself he detests self-sacrifice as self-sacrifice is the sacrifice of the self 
He believes one should never sacrifice oneself for anyone or anything, as the self is the only thing anyone has any real control over, therefore it being the main thing of true importance. And there have been takes like, well, if everyone, say in a business, partnership or cooperation, only put themselves first, then there would be no collaboration or cooperation, leading to the ultimate breakdown of the company, and it would turn thus into Animal Farm. But the thing is, the idea of self-interest and cooperation, collaboration and communication are not, once again, mutually exclusive. Because, using that example, if you were part of a company or business and your success and well-being relied upon the success and well-being of the company, then would you not do anything required to ensure the success of the business, which usually includes communication, cooperation, collaboration and compromise? Therefore, the success of the business is in your self-interest, making your cooperation and collaboration not an entirely selfless thing. If alternatively you decided you didn't give a shit about the success of a business and you chose not to do those things and the business failed, that would not be in your self-interest because you would be without a job and without income. People usually want the company they participate in to succeed because they want to succeed. With this framework in mind, you can also say that love is a fundamentally selfish emotion. Love is generally defined as deep feelings of admiration, connection, respect, and attachment. But, for example, if you loved someone and loved them purely for the reason that they made you happy, their existence alone made you happy, then loving them would not be entirely selfless. They make you happy. And happiness is something that we all want to feel that is always in our self-interest. So there is always a degree of selfishness in your love, and that is not a bad thing. Like the love parents have for their children, it is usually unconditional, but is this always true? Or do some parents, usually unknowingly, leverage their love based on the performance and achievements of their kids? Do they leverage it on the expectations they have of their kids? Or is a degree of their love self-glorifying, validating in their own mind their own well-perceived identity of being a good and superior parent? Either way, a parent has a certain amount of expectations for their kid, as you know, and as they should be allowed to have. Because put it this way, if you raised something you genuinely loved for 18 years, would you not also expect it to turn out well? And this is talking in a more general sense of a parent-child relationship. Anyway, parents make mistakes because they are people just like everyone else, and a degree of their love for their child may be selfish, but don't be surprised by that. It is human nature to want to pursue things that validate your existence. And by the way, I may be wrong about this, I am not saying this is the absolute truth, but as this is my podcast, I am merely sharing my own observations and thoughts that you may or may not agree with or relate to. In my opinion, this idea of objectivism, individualism, and self-interest is very important, especially for the young girls of this day and age. It is important for them to prioritize themselves, their own physical, mental, emotional health and well-being, and their own happiness. Girls have been indoctrinated for since the beginning of time to constantly put other people's happiness, comfort, and fragile egos before their own, because it is ingrained into us to be afraid of people more powerful than us. 
We are taught to defend ourselves and hide instead of standing up for ourselves and naming our standards and values as if we aren't people. And if we do do that, we are also labelled in the other extreme direction. We are called bitches or psychos. But we are taught to be afraid of those in power instead of being those in power. And to be in power means to be in control. And control is not so unattainable as we like to think it is. And as the media tries to portray it as... If there is nothing at all externally we control, it is ourselves. We can control and choose what we like, what we dislike, what we agree with or don't agree with, what we think, how we feel, what we want, etc. We can decide who we want to be, how we want to be perceived, and who we want to be around. Especially with social media, it is so easy for impressionable youth to lose their individuality and sense of authenticity and just take on the opinions of strangers because of fitting in or seeming smart. Unfortunately, this philosophy of objectivism has been taken over and gentrified by right-wing, white, cisgendered men who think owning a Robert Greene book is a personality trait. It is no surprise that this nuanced and logical aspect of Ayn Rand's philosophy got misinterpreted by these men who take the surface area of something without really understanding it and then use it to justify their own egocentric, indifferent, entitled, exploitative lifestyles that are allowed to exist by their innate privilege. These are the kinds of guys who are everywhere, who claim they are feminists, quote-unquote, despite them only using that fake sensitivity and wokeness to lure unsuspecting women in, who idolise Elon Musk for the wrong reasons and only owns books about making money or manipulating people, and whose favourite media consumption is the Joe Rogan experience. This is the everyday Patrick Bateman. And they have always existed in different forms and always will exist. So sorry, owning Atlas Shrugged doesn't make you an alpha male, or superior to literally anyone. I can also see why people would find my take on this controversial or offensive, but when consuming media, I think it is necessary to approach it from an objective perspective instead of a purely judgmental or emotional perspective. It is so important to be able to critically think about things and profit from different perspectives instead of simply reacting to them. And if something does offend you, it is a great time to question where those motivations inside of you come from. Why is this eliciting an emotional response in me? What part of me is being provoked and for what reason? And if we approach things in this way, we can only ever learn more about ourselves and grow as people instead of remaining as stagnant spectators. Anyway, this marks the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in to To See or Not To See. What did you see or not see? That is the question. I am your host, Grace Curley, and I will sign off with a quote from Miss Rand. My happiness is not the means to any end. It is the end. It is its own goal. It is its own purpose.